0: You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media, 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 media,
1: media, media. media. I think that the only way that we're going to realize um, freedom, justice, equality, decent living, thought. People is if there's a complete change, a complete change, everything has has got to be turned around, and that, that's a revolution. a revolution. It's a revolution. It's a revolution. It's a revolution.
2: Yo, 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 hello. And welcome to another episode of Conscientization 101 Podcast. I am, man, get, man, stop the beat. This is a special episode. Bring it back, bring it back. Hello, and welcome to an episode of BOSAL 101 Podcast. Yeah, I like that better. I'm your host, senior editor, James Stone. So, on this episode of BOSAL 101 Podcast, you might be asking yourself, what happened to Conscientization 101 Podcast? It ain't never going nowhere. Remember that. It will never go anywhere. Uh, You might be asking yourself, what is a BOSAL? Well, that's why you're listening to this show, because I ain't finna tell you fixing to listen to it. Because this is a special episode. We got two great minds with us this time okay at the same time occupying the same space we're breaking laws of physics now i ain't into no metaphysics and all that shit don't get me wrong (laughs) we ain't gonna wish our way to freedom and shit and wishful thinking and shit you you negroes go anyway let me get back to the point y'all i'm I'm free because i think i'm free you damn subjective idealist who are you berkeley or something hmm I'm free. Well, you don't need no bail money then. Oh, wait, wait. Hold up now. Hold up. Ain't that free? Give me some bail money. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, we got a special episode. Today. I'm talking about subjective idealism, liberalism, because I don't like it. But um, let me tell you who we got on this episode. Just calm down. 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 We have Dr. Joao Costa Vargas and Dr. Julian Cooney. We got them together. We want to have a dialogue with these brothers. Okay, Now you know we featured their work in the library because we've read their books. We've read, from Dwyer, we've read Catching Hell in the City of Angels, Life and Meanings of Blackness in South Central Los Angeles. And his other book, Never Meant to Survive, Genocide and Utopias and Black Diaspora Communities. And Julian's book, Is Apartheid Really Dead? Pan African is working class cultural critical perspectives and his latest work, The Cost of Globalization Dangers to the Earth and Its People. Okay. You can find the links to this in the description on the website. Go to the website. Go to the website. Now, some of y'all who, who've just now come into this podcast, I'm not going to say shame on you, but it's better, better late than never. You know, because if you haven't been familiar with, with, with my boy, Joao, and Julian's work, okay? You know, Julian is a professor at the University of Arizona. Joao is a professor at University of Texas, Austin. bo these both of them is some bo You gonna learn what it is. If you don't wanna be a bo get off this podcast now, all right? This is just excerpt, cause it was so much fire. It's excerpts. If the, the Let me tell you something, dialogue went over 90 minutes. Over 90 minutes. You know this show's an hour. So you gonna have to check the details at the end of the show. We're gonna tell you how you can get the whole thing, okay? So you can listen to it, and then just make sure you have you a glass of water, a fire extinguisher, because you might burn yourself with all this knowledge, all this conscientization, okay? But right now, this is the episode, is out 101 Podcast. out This is a special episode. Okay. Now, I just wanna say this before we get into the show. Okay, we got some exciting changes coming up in February. You might find some stuff that you might want to wear. Ooh, let me, let me be quiet. I, I, I've said too much. It's already gonna go upside my head. Beside one on one, Joelle Costa Vargas, Julian Cooney. Let's take it away now. My next question is gonna be. For both the panel, this is something I've been pondering together because when we were talking about these national borders and we have to think about these national borders, the nation state, how it was created and things like that. And when we look at the nation states, we've created various identities, right, such as African-American. Now, I don't know how you could create an African-American when the whole Western Hemisphere is the Americas. I guess you just the top dog and you belong to the Anglo-Saxons. Anyway, I joke, I kid a lot, don't I? Then you got, like, Nigerians. Then you have Afro-Brazilian. Oh, I think we have an Afro-Brazilian on the phone. Hello, Afro-Brazilian. Then we have a South African on the phone. You know, these weird... South. How creative can you get with that? South Africa, that's really creative. Okay, settlers. Anyway, uh, they were all built, like, on a premise of annihilating our culture and, you know, and uh, really draining our resources. So now when you look for who owns the means of production, it's the West, right? You know, we're just going to be the exporters of cheap raw materials. We're not going to be doing any processing there. We're just, whatever you want, you look at you look at the quote-unquote hood here, it's a colony. You know, people go do their little nastiness over there. It's the colony. They make their money over there and then they bring it back over here, bring their resources back to the good side of town. Same way they do in Africa. So we wanted to talk about You know, with these divisions, I just talked about the divisions, African-American, Nigerian, whatever we need to be, Jamaican and all this other stuff. And I want to know, I want to talk to you guys, how do these help to impede our growth as a nation, as a people, as black folks, African folks around the world? Because we got to be, and Julian, you talked about that in your Revolution of Pan-African book, boy, that's what I liked about it. You you got in Pan-Africanisms, you know what? Cause you know, you were saying they was rolling with some bourgeois tendencies. Okay, that's we need to talk about that sometimes, right? They want to do the state thing and then want grassroots thing. So we need to be more pan-Africanism. That I can dance, I can do the samba and all that. You know what I'm saying? We need to talk about the economic basis. Cause you think about it, uh, I was I'm rereading again. I read books like over, over, over. Right? I'm rereading the "Destruction of Black Civilization." One of the things Chancellor Williams said was. On page 83, y'all, y'all can just look at page 83. I'm not going to quote quote, quote, quote quote, it verbatim, but he said, you know, advancement, the, every advancement happened because of an economic base. He was talking about when Mituatep kicked the Asians out, reconquered, the, you know, the upper and lower Egypt. And so when I think about Cameron, you know, I expect Cameron to say, Jamaica, move on. Move on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when that boy said... Remember the Holocaust too. I was like, oh damn, brother. White people white people will call you nigga and then tell you to move on the same second, right? That's just how I go. So you you used to that. But I'm thinking when I saw Cameron that that you know, then the camera gonna say, We helped abolish we helped abolish. Yeah, you helped abolish it because you was trying to get your way with colony back, and then you was about to colonize. But I, mean, I don't read Walter Rodney. I know what's good. Okay. So when we think about this. I think Jamaica's biggest problem was they went in, besides the fact that Jamaica got some problems, all right? Jamaica went in as Jamaicans. What if we, you know, we get some organization together and we, we, we lay down the law. Why are you going to have David Cameron as an interlocutor in the first place? What David Cameron going to say? Ooh, yeah, I'm going to give you everything and what's in the British Museum. I don't think so. So when we're talking <laughs> about like building as a African people around the world, you know, how identity helped to not just say, oh, you black, I'm black, we black, we dance? As opposed to, you black, you know what I'm saying? Jawal, jo- you in Austin. I bet me and you could, you, you, I bet if you grew up in Austin like me, you'd be saying the same. Now you can relate. I can tell you about some stuff at LBJ, Keelan, whatever. you like, oh, I know what he's talking about now. But if you stick me in Brazil, I could tell you the same thing. If I grew up during that time. Why? Because we African. Same thing in the Right? So... That's the economic basis of how we treat it around the world. So I don't think we gonna have no advances by no marching, by telling Cameron as Jamaicans or African-American Black Lives Matters. I think we gonna have to go a little bit deeper and we gonna have to reclaim, get put our pennies together. At least we gotta make some grease for our hands, some sporting waves, Some well I don't need sporting waves no more. But you know what I'm trying to say. So how does identity play a role in economy, in, in political economy that needs to advance the nation? Either one of you brothers, take it away.
3: Oh, you want to start off? You, you can go, Julian. It seems like you're you, you ready to jump in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's interesting. Late last, last night, I was at the library, university library. I have a study carol there, and I'm working on this paper on reparations at the University of Edinburgh. and there's a huge international conference there they asked me to come they invited me they kind of insisted um and my colleague vp franklin who's the editor of the journal of african-american history said you know i would need to be there because um i can edit the papers that are coming out of it but it's based on and of course the keynote address is going to be given by um Sir Edmund Beckles, let's see, what is his name? Uh, yes, Hilary Beckles, who's chair of the task force on reparations in the Caribbean and a pro vice chancellor of the University of the West Indies. And it's so interesting because in my uh, research last night, I was just going through the, the sources um, for that call from, the, uh, from CARICOM, the Caribbean nation's asking for reparations for the Caribbean Um, and you know the first thing of course uh, was that Cameron and the British government said that well we work hard to abolish slavery Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. we were sending our Navy ships out there and um, you know we we tried our best to stamp out slavery (laughs) So we was not part of the problem. We was not beneficiaries. They, I mean, it, the enslavement of Africans was almost 200 years by that time. Mm-hmm. to the fact that for another 60 years, there was still shipping of Africans from 1808 to 1860 into the Western hemisphere. Okay, so Cameron is a dirty liar, typical of these governments. And then he says, well, Jamaicans, Caribbean people, Y'all need to move on, okay? We, we all got to deal with this issue of economic development. We don't have time to be talking about, you know, kind of extraneous things like reparations and the past. <laughs> okay? So you, when you look at this whole thing, and, and Beckles was talking about the fact that it wasn't just money in terms of reparations, but there were all these cultural issues, Um, issues of health, issues of confused identity, Mm -hmm. just issues of cultural loss, familial disintegration, internecine violence, self-hating Black people. Um, He was even talking about, uh, he raised the issue of, um, the task force raised the issue of Jamaicans that have gone to Ethiopia you know, emigrated. I mean, returned to the motherland and settled in Ethiopia, but can't get citizenship there. Mm-hmm. Of of you know the quote laws of the land protecting the indigenous people. Supposed supposedly, these are the these are the kind of gimmicks that we see part of co- colonialism. But you're so right, James, that we can't go this alone. You know, we can't. Function as disparate entities. We can function as Brazilians, Haitians. You know, when I was in Haiti, I just said, This is our motherland right here. Mm. The same when I was in Brazil, in Colombia, in Venezuela, you know, in the Bahamas, I mean, in Cuba. And I'm saying, These are Africans. You know, that's why uh, the AAPRP used to have that. We're Africans, period. period. And in Europe, they say, we're Africans, full stop. Mm. Because they use that expression. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Kwame Ture used to always echo that, you know, when we spoke to audiences here. It's the same... It's the same root. We come from the same root. And so... Our identities are interlocked, interwoven with each other. Our cultural pasts are part of living history today. And all of us are crazy. We're schizophrenic. That's right, We are. We're pathological because yes. we hate ourselves. Mm-hmm. We embraced the Englishman. Oh, yes. Or France. We <laughs> oui, oui. weave France. See, we embrace these colonial identities. Fanon's work was so powerful. That's why all those brothers and sisters in prison, you know, George Jackson and Mumia and everybody else talked about the wretched of the earth. You know, because when you are enslaved in this country, the prison capital of the world, slavery capital of the world, you know, they said 70 million people in the United States have records, criminal records, 70, million, 70 million people. Wow. people, you know, and um, when you look at that, when you're in prison, you, you look at yourself, you look at who you are, you know, a dark-skinned person and saying, who am I? Why am I here? Yes, I know I did something wrong, but why am I here serving three life terms or have been sentenced to 200 years in jail? Like the brothers I interviewed at San Quentin. 200 years! And the other person, the white person out there, who committed a very similar crime and broke into somebody's home and, you know, tried to rob somebody, he got six years, five years probation you know what is it about me that makes me different why am i hated like this why am i despised like this why do people fear me you know even on the campus <laughs> university campus you know some uh, one of the guys told me one of the faculty told me he said yeah hey, Jillian, we can see you a mile away <laughs> And it's because symbolically and spiritually, what I represent is the antithesis of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. See, it's the antithesis of white supremacy. Instinctively, people know, they can sense that I'm resistance. I'm resistance. Mm -hmm. Resistance. Because I am about the question of identity and our root. And the embracement of our ancestors. The ancestors live in me like the ancestors live in Yao. You know, that's why we're here. I pour libations to my ancestors every day. And to the ancestors of Mother Africa. The ancestors of the native people of this land. The indigenous peoples of Turtle Island. I I pay tribute to them. I'm here because they sacrificed their lives so that I could be here. Now, you look at all of the black kids in the schools in Texas. By the way, I have a note on Texas. You must have read that story about the history book published by McGraw-Hill talking about Africans being workers. (laughs) It's into the United States. Wow. (laughs) Y'all, did you see that story, too? I I did, yes. Uh, You know, it's just I told my students, they were just shaking their heads and they said, How racism. These are conscious students. I deal with, you know, pre-conscious students. They say racism. I mean, we can't deal with it. We can't deal with slavery. We can't deal with genocide. You know, so when we're talking about reparations, when we're talking about restoration, when we're talking about justice, this is a lifelong struggle. This is part of the resistance. That Biko, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Nat Turner, Malcolm Martin, everybody, the Mumba, Yaya Santawa, Nzinga, Nahanda, I mean, you know, all of our people all. reparations must be talked about, and my discourse on reparations at that conference on reparations is Africans in totality. Mm -hmm. African Americans, or Brazilians, or Haitians, or Jamaicans, or continental Africans, or Africans in Europe, or Africans in Asia, or whatever. Okay, this is global. The global globalization of chattel slavery. And how the foundation, Joseph and Akori, you know, established very clearly in his work on the... uh, Atlantic um, economies, Um, brother from Nigeria, uh, very outstanding, the world's top scholar, in fact, I would consider in terms of slavery and talked about enslavement built the British economy, maintained the ports of Liverpool, Mm -hmm. maintained all those towns and counties in Britain, just like Haiti. Haiti is responsible for France today. Our people in Haiti are people struggling in the favelas in the ghettos of Port-au-Prince Taphatian you know just when I think about Haiti you know there's a pain in my heart because Haiti was the first black republic to overthrow slavery. Now as Yao was saying what an irony we've got African soldiers from Brazil going to colonize our people in Haiti. Right. Mm. Kill them, not just colonize, kill them.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and, and so this is the perverted irony, the evil of the world in which we live. And us as black people, the majority of our people have no idea you know, it's like black people buying shares in private prisons. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have that. Oh, yeah. Businesses and everything else, you know, black billionaires and millionaires and so on. They want to see because the system anesthetizes black intelligentsia, the black elite, into hoodwinking them into saying, you can be part of us. You can be part of uh, Cameron's class, Obama's class, right. Clinton's class, Bush's class. You can be with us. Mm-hmm. Just it's about you know you going to live well. Don't worry, we'll take care of them. We'll take care of the niggers. So there's pain, and that's why we ask for reparations. And that's why when we demand reparations, we have to talk about the black experience in total. We have to talk about what's fr- what France is doing in Africa today. Oh, yeah. and, and what the Brazilian government is doing to the Africans. And the governments of Latin America are doing to the African people. And to the indigenous people. Our relatives there. All over, quote, Latin America. And the Caribbean, you know, in the main, as just colonial settler republics where people go for holidays, vacations. Yes. Bermuda. You know, the Caymans. While the indigenous peoples there, the black peoples are marginalized economically and slaves to serve their white masters, the tourists that come in. This is the reality we have to look at. And reparations is a consistent... Reminder of our history, a living demand that this world is pathological. World in which we live, beautiful. The world is beautiful. The earth is beautiful. The people, the rulers of this world that started in so called Europe, that have created this massive pool of blood of the lives of the people. The earth, the creatures of the earth around the world. And here we are languishing under the yoke of slavery today. And we think we're free and we're happy. And we get ourselves a pat on the back and say, oh, I'm an African-American. And, you know, thank goodness. We overcame. So we've got to look at ourselves all of us, and realize how painful it is when our humanity is so disfigured and so distorted, so transmogrified, and we need to recapture that mm-hmm. and the struggle that it takes to do that, especially with our children. Ja was talking about, I think, his son playing soccer and so on. You know, I think about every child is my child. It's not just my own children. And we all are having the same problem of identity. Mm-hmm. Children don't want to be black. You know, this is the reality. That identification with ancestors, that connection with parents and grandparents and that those extended families that we had where every child was our child. Mm-hmm. You know, that you could have a child going for days, not being physically located in one's, you know, um, parents' mother's and father's home because there was no insecurity. Because there was mom across the road, there was mom in the other neighborhood, dad in the other neighborhood, uncles and aunts and everybody just surrounding the children. That was the indigenous African way in which we live. And now it's violence. It's insecurity. You know, And our our children are running away, are running away from our ancestors. This is what the spiritual cultural genocide has done. And this is why the educational system, in particular, is the most lethal instrument.
2: Right. It's
1: the most destructive. That's why I'm in two worlds. You know, so-called professor and all this kind of stuff. Teacher. But that's just by the way. I'm there to decolonize and to protect our children against the educational system. You know, just I just like I'm here to protect our people against the evil of Christianity ideology. Hmm. Me too. And you too, and and everybody (laughs) feels what it's done. Taking us away from our ancestors, mm-hmm. taking us away from the earth, make us look into, toward heaven. A <laughs> oh, Molly sings, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's going to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you said that people are buying stock in the prisons. You have some black nationalists, who so-called black nationalists, who suggested that we all buy stock in the prisons, and I was appalled by that. You know, I just wanted to add that one. But, you know, when the um, when David Cameron says, well, we need to all move on and worry about economic development, it's so obvious. He tells us to move on because they want us to save them. That's what it is. They want us to save them and forget about our problems and say, well, we're all in this together, you know. And because they're in trouble, they need our energy, just as always, you know. So it's it's so disgusting to say that because how did Britain become Britain? Everybody knows what's the saying, that the sun never sh- shines and on, sets on the British Empire. So th- that's just a lie, and that's why, you know, I, I'm like you. I feel real bad for these kids because they get this stuff out of the television, you know, and then they get these books that are just lying, the history books. And, you know, I remember when I was in school, I was like, this is my history book. You know, you don't really question it unless somebody says something. And it's it's, it's not that many people, you know— which is the purpose of you know this show to give people clarity, especially young people, you know, because older people, they know better. I, I think most older people know better. They just lying, <laughs> you know. So that that's all I wanted to add. It's so disgusting. Well, wow, did you oh, want to uh, add yeah, some? I'm
3: just gonna
0: be right back. Uh huh. Yeah. Do I? Did you want to add anything?
3: Yeah. When when uh, when Julian was talking, I was reminded of um, George Jackson's saying that uh, as a slave, the thought that most occupied his mind was revolt and revolution. And so, yes, we are Africans as far as we go through the same genocide everywhere on this planet. And at the same time, if I were to be optimistic, I would say that as Africans, we are constantly engaged in in revolts. And so when I look at what's going on today in, in Brazil, I look at what's going on today in the US, when I look at what's going on in South Africa, I get a sense that there's an increasing awareness that to be African is not just to go through genocide, but it's also to speak truth to power and to respond in kind. And because of what Julian said, we don't have the cultural space to talk about that. Can you imagine us having a course on Black Revolt in contemporary United States? We'd be fired <laughs> next day. <laughs> However, it's it's going on as we speak. We just don't don't hear about it. We just don't have the the the, the, the cultural setup to to be able to analyze and speak about these things. So. These so-called criminal organizations in Rio, in São Paulo, in Salvador—these are black-led organizations that are doing nothing less than organizing their means of production Mm. with their own juridical systems, coming up there with their own rewriting of history and claiming a space within this genocidal nation-state. It's quite a moment. And I would say, and this is anticipating a question that comes up later that you suggested, but I would say that similar initiatives are going on in the U.S. It's just that we haven't paid much attention to them. So revolt as in not just protest, but also as organized and armed organizations. So, we, t- we tend to see ourselves as victims, but that's not the story. We, <clears throat> we need to remember that in all of these nations of the diaspora, we would not be here as black folks if our foremothers and forefathers did not arm themselves and right, defend. Wow.
2: Right. Tell it. Tell it.
3: So, that's, the, that's part of the, the counter hegemonic education that, that Julian was, was talking about earlier that needs to be done. What if we started educating our kids not only about their vulnerability, but also their capacity to come up with strong resistance and their necessity to respond in kind to what they are subjected to? So you mentioned my son earlier, Julian, you're absolutely correct. We, we need to find ways to not only protect them, via their awareness but also protect them very pragmatically. My kid, he's 11, he asked me for a bulletproof vest. Mm. Daddy, I want a bulletproof vest. The police is out to get me. What am I going to say to that? You're absolutely right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But the conversation cannot stop there. The bulletproof vest will not do. And as Julian said, we need to find ways to talk about this as part of the African condition, as part of a long history of resistance. We, we desperately need an African culture of resistance, of revolt.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In Brazil, for example, you are in traffic, you're catching a bus and somebody steps on your toe and you go, oh, Bossao, Bossao, that's a, that's a bad name. And I came to learn recently that Bossao is actually the, the African that, that was the most recently arrived in Haiti who was there for the most likely to revolt. Isn't that interesting? Ew.
0: Yes, it is. So today
3: we use, we use BoSAL to say, you're a, you're a fucking jackass. Instead of saying all of that, you just say Bossao. Not knowing that, as a matter of fact, the Bossao is... The most dangerous, the most aware, the most rooted person that finds herself in a context of slavery and genocide, and is willing to just go for it.
2: Ooh, I like that. Right.
3: That's, that's a wonderful. So what? What if we all became both sides? I'm we right all sides, right. So it's not just. And I think yes, we do need to. We do need to press for reparations. We do need to elaborate that. Public dialogue, but at the same time, we need to make sure that the demand for reparations is backed up that's right. by the threat of revolt. Yes. That's,
2: that's all
3: south. I like that's that. What, that's what has I like brought that. about every little gain, if we can say that, for black folks throughout.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So slavery didn't end because white folks decided to end that, it ended because black folks. Yeah, were were jumping on white people's necks left yeah. Yeah. and right, and they were shitless scared. That that's part of what was going on. Of course, there's the economic argument, there's all of that, but it was a multiracial movement that white folks realized we better side with these Africans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. What look Absolutely. what they've done in Haiti. I mean, abolition is really abolition throughout the Americas this is a result of Haiti. That's right. Yeah. Our yeah. Greatest yeah. fear. That's yeah. still the greatest fear on, on this planet yeah. is a yeah. black nation.
0: That is very true.
3: Yeah. So I, I, I totally agree with, with Julian. We we need to find these, these African counter-hegemonic educational tools. And I would start with African revolt as being that which we have to hold on dearly to. That, that, that's all we have. We have to... Revolt and revolt not just as something physical, but we, we have to be constantly revolting in our heads, in our minds, to, to do away with all this bullshit that's killing us, as as Julian said, that we end up eating ourselves. Yes. And we like the taste of it. Right. Malcolm said it, Martin said it, Marley said it, Harley
4: said it, Garvey said it, said it, said it, I was not there, but I'm sure Disaline said it. Never live. We might feed and breathe, but we're never dead Except those with peace and equality They don't see what we call authority Live and speak truth, we kill them for We love them dead when they speak no more But they will endure Ideas are bulletproof Truth of truth, it's impossible to pull it loose. We smother any mouth there, utter it. Fully father's fear, when we mother it. We're loving the corrupt government, so we look the other way when in our name they're struggling. We idolize them and we despise them, because we're reminded that we're the ones who are silent. So give a moment for the times who were blinded. Scream at the top of your lungs like a siren. Hey, brother, Baby, the wise man has nothing to prove the one who has nothing, has nothing to lose More things we don't need, we'll make more thieves More laws we don't heed, it's all Simon Who leads, it don't matter, they can't make change New driver, but we got no brakes Whatever the place, whatever the face The master never ever frees his the slave They always knew it, so they pursue it But we were too divided to ever be guided But we got to stop because they're rotten From the day to picking cotton They sell us a love song, and we're so besotted So confused, we believe their promise But there are some that lead more honest They are not forgotten, though they shot them. So scream to the top of your lungs, right from the bottom Martin said it, Marley said it, Harley said it, Garvey said it, Saints said it, I weren't there but I'm sure Destiny said it, Barclay said it, Martin said it, Marley said it, Marley said it, Garvey said it, Lerumba said it, I weren't there but I'm sure Destiny said it, You are not God, so we are not defiant No human nature, just our behaviour The oppressed, wanting that oppressor is the saviour Round the globe killing, claiming to be religion All the books said it's sinning and that is just the beginning I'll spread democracy by jumping a bomb On them terrorists with no shoes and socks I reckon, history teaches us the lesson The bigger terrorist is the one with the bigger weapons They've talked but we didn't listen they spoke and then went missing We can't see all the things that imprison us Cause we don't appreciate the freedoms they've given us I would not bet it, would we ever get it? Run, tell your friends that Akala said it If you ain't found something to die for If you ain't found something to die You never live If you ain't found something to If you You never live Malcolm said it Martin said it Marley said it Harley said it Garvey said it St. said it, I weren't there, but I'm sure Desaline said it, Malcolm said it, Martin said it, Marley said it, Arlie said it, Garvey said it, Lumumba said it, I weren't there, but I'm sure Desaline said
0: it. Okay, so I'm moving on to the next question, and it's about, it's kind of about the same thing as far as um, the West and their insecurities that they're feeling now. And there's a lot of talk about immigration, you know, and and the so-called refugees from Syria and all that stuff. And I, and I actually saw like a say I saw when the Pope came that he actually he addressed immigration, right? So they basically go back. It's not a surprise they go back to the Pope just like they went to him, so he can bless slavery. They go to him so that he they can he can resolve their quarrels over immigration because they you know they they're fighting on both sides. Uh, and so, you know, when we talk about the borders that imperialism created, we can't ignore that dispossession is an inherent part of that, you know, and it, and they needed to do it to create nation states and all that good stuff. So, well, all that bad stuff. Anyway, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about, like, the reasons behind, like, the insecurities be- that the West feels, like, which is obvious, it'd be obvious to all of us, um, and— and the implications for, for us as colonized people and the implications for them. You know, like, how, how do we reckon? Like, well, we're not going to reconcile with the colonizer, but, you know, what will that mean for the world as a whole since we all live on this planet? Like, do I was just saying, we can't go to Mars. So that's what I, that's what I want to talk about. So either one of y'all can pick that up.
1: So, I mean, I think we've talked about a little bit about this. Um... The insecurity. Um, and and <clears throat> I mean, the biggest issue in the world today was the biggest issue. I remember we were talking about um, I was teaching a class like this was over 30 years ago at Berkeley. And I remember uh, um, having my advisor come in. And it was a class on black uh, religion and culture or something like that, I think. And, um, and he was saying to the students, um, he was saying, um, uh, he, he was from the, uh, the African American Studies Department at the university, and he was saying, um, the biggest problem we have in the world today is racism. You know, that was 30 years ago. He said no matter where you look at it, you know, uh, the peoples who are considered, you know, peoples of color um, are being attacked, are being dehumanized. No matter where you look uh, at the situation. And he was from the Caribbean. And, you know, you, you're you look looking at inhumanity against black, brown, yellow, red people all over this Mother Earth. So the white power structure in the world is playing all kinds of games. And uh, just like, uh, who was it, used to say, imperialism never sleeps. And it's like they're consistently devising games now. Um, You know, it's like they have this trans-Pacific... Partnership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And Obama goes out there and, you know, he's saying, well, we're tired of depending on China. We need something else. We're going to have a new alternative. You know, just blatant lies. There's <laughs> <laughs> blatant lies. Everything we have is made in China. You know, uh-huh. this, table yes. China. this table I have is made in China. The chair is made in China. Even the toilet paper, toilets are made in China. You know, all these kinds of things are made in China. The phones mm-hmm. They have this absurdity. They're making money from the slaves in China. All of them are making money from the slaves in China. I saw it myself when I was there. And yet they have this, you know, this crazy thing. So these are the games that are being played. The same thing with immigration. You know, when you look at uh, Mexico, we were talking last night with uh, one of my students from from Mexico and she was talking about how you know these drug, these drug cartels have taken over communities and you know made life virtually impossible for so many people students and of course the killings in Mexico City you know those uh, 22 students and so on just the violence the levels of violence and so, and 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 all of that has to do with imperialism and has to do with Banamex. The bank that is a subsidiary, subsidiary connected to HSBC, Wells Fargo, that has $374 billion of its capitalization from drug money, has to do with money. Violence and money go together. Like Wall Street, CIA is Wall Street, Wall Street is drugs. So, therefore, you draw the conclusions, right? So, all of this stuff um, is is designed, is fabricated to contain, to contain, to colonize, to borderize, if you will, ghettoize, all these communities. Because the people of color, and especially the United States now. This is why there's all these games that are played, you know, black, Latino, Asian, and so on. You create divisions and say, well, you know, look how successful the Asians are and so forth. You know, this is what the Latinos are doing. This is, and the black folks are just hopeless and so on. All these (laughs) that are used to foist notions of identity. And all of these are in relationship to the white supremacist colonial imperial state, the empire, United States Empire, and the so-called Western uh, world. So, levels of security, insecurity. Insecurity has to be created. And again, it's criminalization of Mexicans. We were talking last night about the fact that 99% of all the food picked up in this country is done by the, at the hands of a Mexican laborer. of all of our fruit and vegetables and everything, whether it's coming from Mexico or from California or or Texas or wherever it is, Arizona, it's coming out of through the sweat, sweat, blood and labor of a Mexican or Mexican worker. I was in Watsonville, California, 35 years ago. I saw people living in cars, farm workers, 35 years ago. This is why Cesar Chavez died. He fasted. I was with him in one of his fasts, United Farm Workers, slaves. Okay. Now you then go around and turn around and criminalize those same people and say, you know what? They are responsible for what? Taking our jobs, Mm -hmm. lowering our standard of living in the United States, you know, bringing diseases. I mean, that was the other thing they they Mm -hmm. spread here, you know, diseases. The disease is greed. The disease, the, the disease is the vampire system of capitalism, globalization. That's the disease, like Nancy Turner Bank says, you know, in her book, The Deadly Viol- Virus of International greed, uh, AIDS, Opium, and Diamonds. Um, oh, I think I missed uh, somewhere there um, the title. But anyway, so to look at... Questions of the border and the militarization of the border. I mean, we have a classic situation of colonization taking place right now on indigenous Otham, Tono lands about 60 miles from here, all the way through in Southwest Arizona. But the border patrol, FBI, DEA, CIA, Homeland Security. You've got helicopters, tanks, airplanes, surveillance towers that are being built all over on sacred Indian lands. And then getting the so-called Otham Tribal Council to endorse that along with Mm -hmm. prison. They even tried to dump nuclear waste out there on the border. Toxic waste (laughs) money. See, look at levels of insecurity. They say, well, you Indians, are, you know, you're impoverished. You have no money, you have no jobs, 90% unemployment. We'll give you some money. Take the toxic waste from our nuclear power stations. We'll give you $100 million. We did the mm-hmm. same thing to Africa.
2: Ghana, Ghana. I looked at someone that was doing yeah, something like yeah, that in yeah. Ghana.
1: So you look at levels of security and insecurity. <laughs> Homeland security. Homeland security. And look at the militarization of all of these communities, even in Texas, Florida, all the so-called border states, California. You know, prisons, security, insecurity, the border, security insecurity. Security is to protect the white ruling class. Right? Yep. And insecurity is all these people of color who are drug dealers. Part of the cartel, uh, poor women, you know, illiterate all over coming from Latin America, Guatemala, from Honduras, Nicaragua, Colombia, and all these places coming in here. Okay, so the balance is changing. There are more people of color increasingly every day in the United States. Inevitably, this country will change. You know, and those majority of people are poor. They're poor. Most of the people in Africa are poor. 90% are poor. Most of the people in Asia, 90% are poor. In India, in China, in Nepal, in Indonesia, in Latin America, in Chile, in Bolivia, you know, in Costa Rica, in Venezuela. I mean, all of these places, they're poor. And they're people of color. And it's because of slavery and colonization, the construction of this world, that served Europe. This entity called Western Europe. Civilization. So this is why these discourses around security, insecurity, and the Pope plays, you know, his role of making these statements to get people all riled up and so on to give legitimacy. Mm-hmm to the Roman Catholic establishment, which is one of the wealthiest institutions in the world. I was telling my students, I said, well, if the Pope is so serious, how about giving all those confiscated stolen lands back to indigenous peoples? Mm. Starting off with Latin America, starting off right here, New York, Mm -hmm. most of New York City, belong to the Catholic church. Go anywhere in Brazil. I was staying, you know, at the Catholic mission. In São Paulo and Rio and every all these places there, you know, because they are the ones that have they have stolen those lands.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly,
1: it's one of the most real, uh, most valuable pieces of real estate in the world. How does the mafia run? You know, so these are the realities about money, mm-hmm. finance, capital, capital. We have to look at these processes. So security, insecurity has to do with capitalism. Protecting capital and using people as slaves for the enrichment of capital, but always dehumanizing and criminalizing the workers, always keeping that facade about them as criminals so that you keep them in abject slavery. They did this, this the same thing with Africa. So,
3: you know, I'm sure Joe has... Some interesting dynam- dimensions too. Uh, to just just briefly, uh, when I think of the the so-called uh, immigrant crisis in Europe, I, I couldn't help but wonder if all that goodwill would would happen if those immigrants, or those refugees, were sub-Saharan Africans. Right. Would, would, would they have made it all the way to Sweden, for example, mm-hmm. the so-called conscience of, of the world? So <laughs> I, I, I do see these uh, new slavery dynamics that, that Julian pointed to. At the same time, I cannot help but seeing these contemporary events, the centrality that blackness plays, even in a portrayal of these contemporary wretched of the earth. So these wretched folks are acceptable insofar as they are not black. These Mexican workers, these immigrants from Latin and South America are okay insofar as they are not too black. Mm -hmm. And I, I could make this case theoretically, but uh, Michelle and um was, was it Michelle Alexander? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's forget let's forget Michelle Alexander. Um let, let me give you an example from my my child, dark skinned black kid playing in a Mexican team, Mexican soccer team. You mentioned the soccer, the soccer reference earlier, Julian, and Mm -hmm. it's it's really telling that as oppressed, as impoverished, and as isolated and confined as those Mexican kids are, they, 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 they come from families that are barely working class. They are happy when they are working class. They will not hesitate to point out to my kid at every turn you African, you are an ebola a carrier of ebola and, and all of that. Mm. Mm. So that to me mm-hmm. indicates the 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 continued presence of this anti-black mindset even among the non-black wretched yes. of the earth. And yes. that what make them relatively acceptable they are catching hell yet they get a piece of the pie that for them a lot of the time is enough I I have a bunch of other ethnographic stories but a few years ago a a Mexican family rear-ended me here in Austin I got a little cut here. It was no big deal. It was nothing. I was, I was ready to go. And the, the person from that, the, the man of that family, he had four or five people in his car, insisted that the police be called. Hmm. Hmm. So this is somebody who's dark-skinned Mexican, didn't speak a word of English. And insisted that the police be called. Mm-hmm. I was trying to tell him, say, "Yo, we don't need the police. I yeah, go. I have your, I have your, your, your insurance information. We good. Mm-hmm. See you later." Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Hmm. What does that tell me? That tells me that. In spite of the fact that he is also catching hell, obviously working class at best, he and his family feel represented by the state. And yeah. sure, the cops come and begin to converse with him in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. When would? Black people call the police, unless, of course, we're talking about black folks who, who have been incorporated into the mm-hmm. system. But for most black folks, that scene is unthinkable.
2: Yeah. Yes.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all of which is to say that when we talk about immigration, we talk about this refugee crisis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there's an unspoken centrality that the black presence still represents the greatest fear. And if, we, and if we are not dealing with that black presence, then we, we can work with what's going on. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I, have, I have my questions whether Germany would be so accepting, whether Europe in general would be so accepting if these were dark-skinned Africans. I, I don't think so. I may, be, I may be proved wrong, but I, I cannot imagine Europe or the United States accepting 100,000 plus dark skinned black folks. I don't see it. No. They may accept North Africans, they may accept Asians, they may accept South Americans and Latin Americans if they're not too black, but that's how far the line goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's. I think that that kind of analysis reminds us of the need for what Julian said. We, we need to, we've got a huge work ahead of us of, of analysis, of realizing that those non-black wretched of the earth are not necessarily our friends. As a matter of fact, I would, I would propose that they're just as bad as the rest. They're ready to kill my son in the same way that they're ready to kill me.
0: All right, everybody, that is the end of this episode of the conscientization. Oh, I'm sorry. The Bosao 101 podcast. <laughs> and as senior editor James Stone said in the beginning, those those were only excerpts of the full show. So. If you want to check out full interviews for this show and all of our shows, go to conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com and check out our subscription benefits page. This page details how you will have access to all C101 interviews and a lot more. So check it out. And remember, as a subscriber, you'll be supporting 100% independent media. This episode features music from a Collis album, The Thieves' Banquet, and the track was Malcolm Said It. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscient1, that is C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N, and the number 1, on Facebook at Conscientization101, and Instagram at C101Editors. And we want to thank Julian and Joelle for taking time out of their busy schedules to to talk with us. Um, we really had a good time, and we hope to do that roundtable again. It was great. Also, remember, we have some really big changes coming to the structure of the site that we're working on. So stay tuned so that we can keep everybody updated as we get closer to revealing the exciting things that we have in store for you. And until next time, peace out we